A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky You know what's great about teenagers is they boo you when you walk up here just to mess with you. <laughs> Thanks, Eli. Well, welcome to Calvary Chapel. My name is Ricky, if you're new here. And um, before we pray, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, and we're going to start chapter 13 today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to Matthew 13. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will get one to you as we always encourage you guys to track along through the word with us. And I'm not sure if you guys know, I think the monitors are on behind me. I'm getting a ring in um, behind me. And while you guys are flipping there, I'm gonna go ahead and pray one more time. And so Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, thankful, Father, for the week that you've blessed us with, that we would be able to take time to reflect on all the things that you've blessed us with, that we would take time to, Lord, hopefully, Remember the things that are truly important. Remember to let those who we love know that we love them and that, Lord, um, we would even remember more importantly, Lord, how much you love us in a season of thanksgiving. And so God, today as we move on from that, um, not that we should ever move forward from thanksgiving, we ask that this morning you would incline our hearts to receive your word, that we would have hearing ears, and that, Lord, we would be prepared to be made more like your son this morning as we go through your word. And we ask this in your name, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 13. Uh, If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we've been going, we always go verse by verse through the word. And so we have been moseying our way through the book of Matthew so far. And we finished Matthew 12 last week as we've been going through this series about the unforgivable sin, and Jesus has a long conversation with the Pharisees and anybody listening about the importance of belief, but not just, not just belief, but believing in truth, not being wholly reliant on miracles, but being reliant on what it is God has to say and what God's already done and the evidence that exists in Scripture already. And so, as we move into the conversation today, we're going to see Jesus begin chapter 13, not that he's writing in chapter 13, but we see it as 13, a section where he is teaching the people in parables. But before we get into that, the review that we always do is, remember, Matthew is written specifically for the Jewish person that they might see that Jesus is the Messiah. There are major sections that can be found in the book of Matthew You have the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through 7. You have the Commissioning of the Apostles, which is chapter 10. And today we get to the third, which is Kingdom Parables, and we're going to run through seven of them over the next several weeks. And so with that, we see Jesus move from one conversation to the next. And before we break it down, we're going to read through verses 1 through 23 today. And so if you're in chapter 13, verse 1, would you say amen? 
It says, this, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things and parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun arose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, a prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears good fruit and yields. And in, <clears throat> and in one case, a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. So that's the text that we're going to cover today. And <clears throat> thinking through worship and thinking through the service just a few minutes ago, I want to encourage us before we get into a word like this one, what is the posture that we have going in to hear the word? Because it's important that we would acknowledge where our heart really is before we come to church and before we come to the word to hear it. Because Jesus has just finished in chapter 12 speaking to a group of people who didn't believe what they were being told and who didn't believe what they had seen. They allowed wicked teachers to distort what was really happening. And then here, we're going to see in just a minute, Jesus is still not speaking to a group of believers, but Jesus is actually speaking to a group of unbelievers now. 
And so <clears throat> with this, many people equate, all right, well, who's, what, what believer is which in this parable? But at the end of it, we find that there's only one amongst all that was sown. And Jesus is giving the hearer a warning to be aware of who you or we might be. Now, often as we get into the word, we have to consider again, are we prepared to listen? Are we prepared to learn? Are we prepared to grow? And are we really most importantly prepared to be submitted to the word of God? As any teacher has, if any of you have ever taught anything to a group of people, there are times when you can be teaching a lesson and while you can't say it, you can think, hello, I am talking to you. Please pay attention, please listen. I remember years ago when I was pastoring a youth ministry, you could be teaching a lesson and looking at a group of teenagers who are merciless in their lack of care sometimes because, let me be honest, a group of adults knows a certain posture that's appropriate when they're listening. Even if they don't care, they'll at least pretend that they're engaged, right? Teenagers, not at all. If you want to break yourself in on teaching, start with teenagers because you'll find out right then and there if you're a good communicator or not. But a group of teens, especially when you're communicating to them, you can look a kid dead in the face and say, I'm talking to you. This is what I'm trying to teach you. And at the end of it, they'll say, what are you talking about? It's like, I don't, what do you mean? What do you mean? We've been talking for 30 minutes. It's like, yeah, I don't remember any of that. Like, I don't. I don't know, I don't know what you, why were you here? Why did you come today? But the word was faithful over time. But here we would see Jesus move from one conversation to the next. And he, you will see him communicate to the disciples as they would ask, why are you communicating in parables? Because they do not hear. And so as we get into this, we have to ask the question, as we get through a text, especially like this one today, are we about to be described as the non-hearer or the hearer? That's a question I think we don't ask often enough when we come into church, when we come into worship, when we come in to pray. A lot of us come into ministry, or not ministry, but we come into church hoping to be validated about something we took a stance on either that morning or that week. Not often do we come into a house of worship in a posture to learn. So today, we are here to learn. Now, <clears throat> verses one through three. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. Jesus is now moving on to the next lesson as he has just been communicating with the Pharisees and the others about their unbelief and their need to have belief founded on truth. He's now teaching another lesson to a group that has gathered around him. And it almost seems like after communicating the importance of truth over miracles, Jesus intentionally moves to communicate to us the importance of hearing, receiving, and living in the truth he's been trying to communicate. Now, I have a random side note here. As Jesus is going and ministering, and from 12 to 13, again, we would note, this is still a large group of unbelievers. 
And as we move closer to the end of days, we should note that it's probably not going to be found very often that there would be a large gathering of Christ's disciples, but there would be large gatherings of people who would be pretending or attempting to hear. Maybe consider that numbers aren't an indication that God's people are gathering. I want to encourage you guys that Jesus is communicating here. There is no better communicator, but he's still teaching to a group of unbelievers. And maybe you're here today looking for a church. Maybe you're bouncing between churches. Maybe you're going, you're about to move and go look for a church. What I would encourage you to do is not indicate your staying based on the number of people present, but indicate your staying based on the teaching of the word of God and the spiritual growth that exists within that place. Because here we have large growth on paper and by numerical, numerical statistics, this is the place to be. However, there is only 13, maybe 12 if we remove Judas, 12 who would be considered faithful that we know of, of this large group. Numerical growth is a poor at best evaluator of spiritual growth. But Jesus is still communicating to them because they are presenting themselves to him to hear. And he begins to speak in parables. And so, picking up in verse 3 again, he says, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them, and other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So speaking to them in a parable. Before we break this down, we should define what is a parable. A parable is a short story designed to communicate spiritual truth, religious principle, or a moral lesson. It is a figure of speech in which truth is illustrated by a comparison or an example drawn from everyday experience. So, <clears throat> Jesus is communicating to a people who were of unhearing ears in a way that they may be able to understand as he draws a correlation to the life that they were living. He's not communicating at a high theological or high doctrinal standard. He's bringing it down and producing milk so that those who might be able to hear would hear. Now, another note about parables that we should remember is that the mark of a parable is that we are told that it is, in fact, a parable. One thing that we should be cautious of in Jesus' teaching are when people try to say that Jesus is communicating a deep spiritual truth as a parable when Jesus has not given us any, any indicator that he is in fact teaching a parable. As we see Jesus teach, and we're going to look at a, a little bit of one in chapter 12, Jesus speaks about things as though they are real that we oftentimes cannot comprehend because we have not seen it or been there. 
And those who wouldn't take Jesus for his word would say, well, Jesus is speaking in parables right now. But as we look at those things, Jesus is communicating them like they are true, real, have in fact happened or are happening. To give you an example, look at, flip over to Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31. I wasn't sure which one I was going to have you guys read, but we'll look at that one. Luke 16, 19. If you're there, would you say amen? It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime receive, remember that in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus, Lazarus in like manner bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, and in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may <clears throat> cross from there to us. And the story continues on. But in that example, <clears throat> we don't see Jesus actually present us any indication at all that that is a parable or a comparison of realities. He speaks about it as though it is one. Last week, we spoke about the returning of an unclean spirit. We find that in Matthew 12, 43 through 45. As we read through that section of Scripture, it's talking about the comings and goings of the demons that have been exercised or removed from a body and how they behave. Jesus, in that example, never indicates that that is a parable either, but is speaking about it as though that is actually how it happens. And so, as we look at the parables today, we have to remember that Jesus will indicate that he is, in fact, in a storytelling mode so that we would have an understanding. And I would say, while certain things are difficult to understand, and we may lack explanation today, if Jesus is speaking about it like it is truth, and it is, in fact, true and happening, then it would be wise to err on that side. A lot of times we have the knee-jerk reaction to call something just a story or a parable because we lack understanding and explanation. Not everything is for us to understand and explain away today, amen? We're not gonna know yet. It's okay. God is still faithful, all right? So with that, both of these contain hard spiritual realities that are hard to consume, but neither is ever described or explained as parables are. So with that, we see Jesus tell them that I'm speaking in this parable. He lays it out for them. Then the disciples come to him in verse 10 of chapter 13 as we're back here. 
It says, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who, sorry, from the one who has not, not even what he has will be taken away. Sorry, even what he has will be taken away. Please forgive me, my dyslexia is kicking in this morning. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So, the disciples ask the big question, Jesus, why have you changed the way that you are communicating now and speaking in these stories? And he's speaking to them this way because they have ears that they are not listening with. In this section, we see the why parables, and Jesus would reference Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 10, for those of you that are taking notes here. Jesus speaks differently to the unbelieving and dull-hearted. And can I, can I note here <clears throat> that Jesus' patience as we work through the book of Matthew becomes abundantly clear, becomes more clear with every chapter we go through. Jesus has been faithfully teaching for some time now. Jesus has been performing miracles for some time now. Jesus has expressed truth and grace time after time after time. And while still communicating to an unbelieving people, I think many of us, and I am included in this, I probably would have walked away and said, you're not going to get it. I'll find a different group of people to talk to. But Jesus in his goodness is still communicating and is now communicating in an even simpler way so that those who are still understanding to date might have the ability to understand. And brothers and sisters, I could say maybe a question here would be, do we contain or possess this kind of patience for those who need to hear the gospel? Many of us lack this kind of patience. We want somebody to come to salvation and get it right. Conversation one or conversation two, Right? Somebody who doesn't understand, they come to us and they seek their counsel. They're like, I don't, I don't know how many of you have ever been in this situation. Somebody who's unbelieving comes to you and it's like, hey, this is a situation I have going on in my life. What should I do? As a believing person, Scripture makes it very clear what the answer is. And you kind of want to look at them. It's like, how do you not know what to do right now? But they don't. And then you give them the answer. And because they're walking in their flesh and in their own desires, you provide them the biblical answer, and it is the exact opposite thing they wanted you to say to them. They wanted you to just say, no, 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 you should keep 
you should keep being a jerk. You should keep moving in your own way. You should stomp over everybody in your way. You should be unforgiving. You should tell your wife you're right and she's wrong and she gets to sleep on the couch tonight. That's what they want to hear. But that's not what the word says. And they hear it and they walk away disgruntled and they do what they want to do. And then what inevitably happens later is you hear them complaining, man, this is what I did and it didn't, this is how it went. And you're sitting to the side, it's like, shocker. I am so surprised it went that way. Then you seek counsel again or they seek counsel again from you and they don't listen again. And you get to a point, it's like, I'm not gonna answer any more of your questions. But can I say, that's not what Jesus has displayed here to a group of people who were doing the exact same thing. And might I remind us today, that is the kind of character we displayed to Christ before we were saved ourselves. But Jesus was abundantly patient with us as he's abundantly patient with those who are listening here as he's communicating to the dull-hearted. Now, this phrasing jumped off the page to me, and dull-hearted is a, a metaphor to make stupid, to render the soul dull or calloused. This isn't a description of people with blinders. This is a group whose senses have been deteriorated. Abuse has muted their faculties to a point of uselessness. And can I say here that this group of people who have been listening to Jesus teach for some time now have rejected truth for a certain extent. They are walking in this path that we have described over the past couple weeks as hard-heartedness. Their eyes and their ears continue to grow more dull as they reject truth, as they would try to find some kind of fleshly satisfaction in the teachings of Christ rather than be submitted to his lordship. They're making it more difficult to understand truth at all. Are we aware that spiritual, or sorry, are we aware that disbelief, intentional disbelief, is a kind of spiritual self-harm? Brothers and sisters, if you are constantly put in front of the word of God to hear it, and you make intentional decisions to not hear it and abide by it, you are making your heart dull. You are making it increasingly more difficult to understand what truth is and to be able to understand, identify, and walk by it at all. You may even get to a place where it will be wholly impossible for you to understand and know what truth is. There was somebody when I was growing up who was captured by a form of prosperity gospel that was more than egregious and a form of a healing gospel that was more than heresy. But this person read their word every day. This person, I know faithful believers spoke truth to them, but the glamour that came with these particular teachers captivated this person's attention. And I could watch this person go from one kind of ministry to the next and walk out blissful in either circumstance, not realizing that one gospel was contrary to the other. 
That one was submitted to self and the desire of wealth, and the other was submitted to Christ and the desire to be Christ-like. And the two do butt heads eventually. But this person had been walking in the other for so long that she couldn't tell that she was being lied to, and she couldn't tell that truth was railing against the life that this person was living. For many of us, that's the spiritual aspect of it within church, and I think that this particular example speaks even more so, and we'll get to this in a minute, of the importance of teaching the full and whole gospel so that somebody could be truly saved. But we, if we're not careful, are inflicting damage to our spirits for the long term. Now, when I say self-harm, some of you are thinking like, oh man, why would he bring that up? There's a form of self-harm that is absolutely extreme. We fear it for ourselves and we fear it for others. We pray that we would never have to experience or that anyone we love would be inclined to do so. But there are other forms that we accomplish quite frequently and we do it out of purposeful ignorance so that we might be able to enjoy things in life. And there are even some who would say, well, those are the markers of a life well lived. Well, I would argue is that that life probably could have been just well lived had you taken the precautions necessary to make sure that you didn't harm yourself the way that you did. Silly examples is listening to music too loud, in which I am a regular practitioner of. Can I say this? I have never been to a concert in which I have worn earplugs like you were supposed to. Now, as I get into my vehicle, I have to have my truck maxed out to be able to appreciate the music because I can't hear it the way that I used to. Everybody as I grew up, and yeah, I got one amen, so somebody else enjoys that. As I was a younger man, other people would say, hey, you're actually not hearing as much music without your earbuds because you're just getting blistered with sound. You're not going to hear, you're going to lose your hearing over time. And I was like, ah, it's not going to matter later. Do you know what? It matters later. I wish I could hear things a little bit better than I actually do. I hear better than Matt, but not as well as I used to. <laughs> Staying outside in the sun too long. Another young person's mistake that I have made many times. You go to the beach and you think you're invincible. It's like the sun can't hurt me. I'm 17 years old. My skin's going to bounce back. You know what? It might bounce back, but you're not even going to be able to lay down for the next 72 hours. But that's the, the instant ramification. But what happens long term if we continue to enjoy life this way? is that your skin eventually will lose the ability to bounce back from that kind of damage and you will walk around looking like a pelt of leather. That's just what's gonna happen. The constant consumption of sugars and other chemicals that we all, many of us, eat all the time. As you eat sugar, it increases your desire for more and then you just want more and more and more of it. A study that came out recently actually showed that even when you're full, that, that second helping, that dessert portion of our stomach that shows up after Thanksgiving, even though we've had four plates. You, does everybody know what we're talking about? This was just 48 hours ago, guys. You should all know what I'm talking about. You're absolutely stuffed, but then somebody brings the pies out and the ice cream and the desserts, and all of a sudden, you're not so full anymore. Well, it turns out that your stomach, when it tastes the sugar come in, it actually expands further so that you can eat more. 
Now, while you might enjoy it on Thanksgiving, if you make this a regular practice and habit, we all know what the long-term results are. They come in many different forms, none of them beneficial or healthy. The regular viewing of unintelligent stimulation. This kind of content degrades our intellectual capacity over time and may even lower our moral and ethical standards as we give ear to the rationale we hear all the time and begin to reason with the characters we once laughed at. You will gain the ability to reason like the content you consume. All of these in time reveal terrible rewards but you only see them after a long time. And spiritually speaking, while it may seem like it's not that big of a deal to reject truth week after week after week, over time, you will get to the point where you won't be able to hear truth. You will get to the point where your heart has become so dull that it's not going to make it in. You're going to confuse you're going to misidentify momentary comfort and desire for true satisfaction and peace. And can I say, we see this in the world in abundance right now. If you really pay attention to the plea of those who are walking in sin, can I encourage you for a minute before you write them off and think that they're crazy? I'm not advocating for a political stance right now. I'm advocating that we would have heavenly eyes for a moment. So hear me out here. Before you would write somebody off for having an irrational thought, please consider for a moment it's not irrational to them because it is all that they know to be true. Before you would say that that person is ignorant, though they might be, they are fighting for something that they truly actually believe in. And rather than posting on a high theological and doctrinal standard, which you should believe in, lower your communication to the, to the means of milk so that they might be able to understand and have the grace and patience, and might I even say, time spent in prayer that the Lord would reveal truth to them. There are far too many times, especially if we're seeing political tensions rise, that we go to an argument ready with statistics and we'll call them facts, right? And though your facts might be true, what I would say is what's more important is that they would be spiritually redeemed so that they could actually see truth. We fight way too hard for the political battle rather than for the soul of the person who stands on the other side. Jesus is here communicating in a very simplistic form, not for the ability to say he's right, but so that they would be able to be saved. Jesus already knows he's right. That's an irrelevant fight. But he's communicating that they would be saved. And here his disciples would come and say, why are you communicating this way? And he said, you're blessed because you hear. They cannot hear and see. Their eyes are blind. Their hearts are dull. They can't consume it. But those who would follow Jesus, his disciples specifically here, but those who are disciples of Christ 
have eyes that can truly see and ears that can truly hear. And I would say have grace because you're communicating with people who cannot see and they cannot hear. And you need the spirit of God to intervene so that they might. They don't need the wisdom of fill in your name. They need the spirit of God. Those who can hear have an ability to do something else. When we look at the definition of this word that's being used here, it says that they have the ability to hear, but the real ability is found in their ability to learn, to give ear to a teaching or to a teacher, the ability to comprehend and to understand. And I would say that has been given to them by God. This isn't simply just hearing so that you could have something go in one ear and out the other. This is a type of hearing that is intentional to consume and learn. Jesus is saying, and note this, brothers and sisters, is that this is a distinction from the disciples to those who are unbelieving, is you now have ears to hear and eyes to see. They do not. It doesn't say that you're smarter. It doesn't say that you're wiser. It doesn't say that you're more astute in your observation. Go with whatever explanation we tend to put ourselves in. It says that you have been given the eyes to see. The prophets and the righteous longed and they desired to see what you are seeing and what you are hearing and they never got to see it on this side of eternity. And this is something that the disciples get to do at a level that we didn't, but we still get to take part as the Holy Spirit resides in us or resides in us. But you get to see and hear and you're not taking advantage of it. Brothers and sisters, please be sure that you are not taking advantage of the fact that you have been given the ability to hear and to learn. Don't think that God has given you hearing ears so that you could ignore what's in here. Don't think he's giving you seeing eyes so you could ignore what scripture clearly states so that you might still abide in your own understanding. He's given you these things so that you could abide in Christ and Christ alone. So from here, as he has just explained to these disciples, this is why I'm communicating in parables because they don't understand. You do understand. He goes on to explain what the parable says. And I would say that for anybody who's a believer in here, we read the parable of the sower and we would think, well, that's pretty self-explanatory. Okay, well, great. If you read through the parable of the sower and you were like, okay, cool, got it. That was, I understood that. Again, the evidence that you have seeing eyes and hearing ears. But Jesus is communicating to a group of people who did not have that. So he's going even further to explain the already simplistic message that's here and not simplistic in its content, but simplistic in the way it's communicated. It says verse 18, if you're in Matthew 13, 18, would you say amen? It says, hear then the parable, parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So verses 18 through 23 is the sower explained. And we see him explain the seeds that fell among the path. This is a person who hears and doesn't understand. And it says that the devil in his time will come and snatch away the seed so that no growth can happen. Now, for those of you taking notes, I would say that the results of each of these seeds, there's two similar, but for the most part, each of them has a different rate or a different amount of growth. The path would be somebody who has seen zero growth. This is somebody who has heard truth, but their heart is so dull that it has not pierced that dull exterior layer. And in their lack of hearing and in their disbelief and in their inability to understand, the devil has snatched away truth from them so that they could continue to abide in this state. Then we get to rocky ground or no root. This is short growth. This is somebody who experiences something just for a moment. This is a person who hears it gladly, but at the first sign of tribulation, falls away. Now, if you're looking at this one, I would notice here, let me find it. Okay, yeah, verse 21 says, He has no root in himself and endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Tribulation arises on account of the word. I think you can highlight the whole chapter, but if you're going to highlight anything, absolutely underline and highlight that section because Jesus even acknowledges that by the word, tribulation is absolutely going to come your way. It is going to come because you are now engaged in a spiritual battle and the enemy doesn't want to see you grow in the word. And it's going to come because you have now chosen to step into a life of obedience that is going to rail against the world that you just previously were walking in. The battle is going to come, but this person, when the battle arrives, is shocked and unprepared and relinquishes the gift that has been given to them and goes back to their previous life. This person has experienced short or very little growth and has been stolen away. And as I spoke about a a moment ago, this speaks to the necessity that the full gospel is preached at all times times, oh preacher and teacher, for you to be satisfied at an altar call of hands that are raised and people approaching the pedestal on a gospel half preached has done no soul any favors. When you hear the gospel preached and the preacher or the teacher removes from it all of the cautions that come with walking with Christ, you are calling people to Christ under false pretense and they don't know what they're getting into. 
Brothers and sisters, we are called to teach the whole of it so that somebody could be wholly and truly submitted to it and prepared to abide in Christ in it. Have you considered for a moment, if you remove all of the heartache and hardship that comes with the word, what a strange message it is to say that you, it is necessary to abide in Christ? Well, what do I need to abide in Christ in if there's never hardship that's coming my way? I'm totally fine cruising. We have to teach the whole thing so that somebody would be prepared to have a solid foundation that they would abide in Christ. Are you guys tracking with me on that one? You remove somebody's inclination to abide in their Savior when there is no trouble coming because there is no need to abide. We see Israel express a, a kind of this as they've been wandering through the desert and they would come to the promised land. They send the spies in. And rather than remember that there would be trouble ahead, but remember even more that God has been abundantly faithful, they choose to walk away in fear. And because they chose to walk away in fear, God doesn't allow any of them to see the land that had been promised to them. Then we see the thorns. This is a person who has chosen to worship at the altar of self. They are choked out immediately. They sprung up for a moment. But this person may have had a positive, visible response to the gospel. But at the call to be like Christ, they will find that they don't actually desire Christ. They only desired his gift. Unfortunately, apart from Christ is the absence of his gift. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to try to receive this gift of salvation and not know Christ. We are called to receive Christ in his fullness so that we would be saved, to submit to him as Lord and to let his work cover us. We don't get to rob that gift. We see something similar in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, you're gonna find the story of the rich young ruler. This young man would approach with an attitude that seemed like it was willing and eager to learn how he might gain salvation. But after he was responded to, heaven in his estimation did not hold a greater value than the assets he had attained for himself. Brothers and sisters, if, if we think the things of this world are of greater value than the things that are to come, when it comes time to endure, when it comes time to let go, we will not be able to do so because we value the things of this world too much. And then we get to the one that bears fruit. This is the real, the real hearer. We see full growth come from this person. This person begins to express the fruit of God in their lives. We're not talking about an inkling of growth. We're talking about growth that has actually gone far enough to be able to give out of itself. They aren't yielding the wealth of this world. Their life is seeing the abundance of wisdom, peace, and joy that only comes by understanding. 
And so as we've worked our way through this first parable today, remember at the beginning of this, we threw out the importance of us considering, are we here to actually listen and grow? Or am I here to try to have God affirm to me my rightness? I can tell you now that your rightness on the best days is filthy rags. You have none. But we're here so that we might learn and grow to be more like Christ, and that would require that we truly, actually listen. And to truly listen is to come to the throne of Christ, willing to learn, willing to be submitted, willing to be abiding in and wholly living on his word. There are some in here who have no understanding today, or you might have had no understanding when you walked in. There are some in here today, or maybe, who are the seeds among the rocks. Maybe the tribulation of this world has made you doubt God entirely. It's not, that's not true. There are some of us who are the seed among the thorns is if we're really honest with ourselves, we do desire the things of this world more than we desire the things of Christ. And there are some who are planted in good soil. But I want to go back even further to the reminder. Jesus is speaking again to a people who are not all believing. Look around the room. This is not a room of believers, not everybody. We pray that it would be. But there are certainly some people in this room who have chosen to give their ear to the things of this world. There are some in this room who would doubt God's faithfulness because tribulation has come into their life. Just because there is a room of people listening does not mean that everybody is saved in that space. And I'm not saying that to freak anybody out here, but I'm saying that is also another reason the church would be so important as to minister to one another. Are you praying for the people to your left and to your right? Are you ministering to them? Are you taking time to proclaim the gospel and to even speak the word to one another? If you get together with other people in the church, I would ask, is the word of God ever a topic of conversation? If it's not, then it might be safe to assume that we might need to practice preaching to one another a little bit more because we're all assuming the other person's a believer and they may not be. The other person might be caught up in the thorns or stuck on the rocks. And God has put you in their life to remind them of the faithfulness of God's word. And maybe it's the other way around. Are you fellowshipping with the body of Christ so that you could be reminded of God's word? And if we're not talking about fellowship within the church, are we taking time to be gracious with those who could possibly hear? We see the parable of the sower. 
but we have to consider who we are in the parable. And Lord willing, if we are the seed in faithful soil, are we taking time to make sure others truly understand? Jesus was abundantly patient. We ought to be abundantly patient. Amen? So why don't we stand together and pray as we close out in this last song of worship. Hey, Jerry. I think he's out there. Hey, brother, can you check on the situation in the uh, men's restroom, please? And so, Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, first, God, I pray that you would shut up the mouth of the enemy this morning. Father, if he would, Lord, dare to be a distraction in your place of worship today. Lord, I pray that you would minister to each and every one of us as we would consider, Lord, whether it's you we're abiding in or ourselves. And God, as we move into this last moment of prayer and in this last moment of worship, God, if there's any of us in this room who have strayed from truth, who have had moments of doubt, God, I pray that you would give us the faith and the boldness to pray. That, Lord, we would cry out to you and remember that, God, you are able to mend the broken soul and you are able to help us see again. Lord, I pray if that is any of us here that we might even be so bold as to come up and ask for prayer so that the church could come together and pray for them. If there's any in this room, Lord, who came in with a dull heart, but Father, you've cleaned the house just enough for them to hear truth, God, I pray that you would give them the spirit of hope and faith that they would cry out to you and find that, Lord, you are good. Lord, we pray that you would also keep the enemy at bay so that they would have the boldness to, Lord, maybe even come up, Father, and proclaim your name, Father, and to seek prayer. God, for the rest of us, I pray that, Lord, as there is a spiritual battle waging within this place, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to pray this morning. That, Father, we would cry out, Lord, your name without hesitation. That, Lord, it would be your name that's heard and no other name. That it would be your glory that's seen and not the works of man. That, Father, it would be your faithfulness on display and not the works of anybody else here. Because, Jesus, it is you that we desire and only you. So, Lord, I pray you be with the worship now. That, Father, our, our worship and praise would be honest. That it would be humble. And that, Father, you would wash us in these final moments so that, Lord, we would be refreshed, Lord, to be used by you to proclaim the good news to someone else who needs to hear it this week. We ask this in your name. Amen.